Be the right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. Expect anything different. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the No Laying Up Podcast. I'm Chris Solomon, joined by my good friend from ESPN, ESPN the Magazine writer, Kevin Van Valkenburg. Kev, uh, it is Monday. It is, what is it, noon at Eastern Time. Davis Love made his picks one hour ago. The goal is just to be, I don't care how good the quality is, the goal is just to be the first podcast to talk about the captain's pick. So let's just get through this as fast as can. I'll get this posted and then just so we can be the first one out. Is that cool? I think it probably should not be the last pick. That's like a- <laughs> Wow, went straight for the final pick already. We're not even going to talk about the first three. I don't think we need to have a podcast anymore. I think we're good. Oh, I misunderstood the instructions. I <laughs> skipped right to the end. Well, first off, what's new with you, man? What's going on? Where are you today? Um, what's what's the, what's going on in Kevin Van Valkenburg's world today? Uh, you know, just I still live in Baltimore. Just uh, getting ready for my NFL uh, reporting to uh, sort of keep going throughout the season. Watched a little football yesterday and uh, going to the Ryder Cup and couple weeks so prepping for that a bit but uh juggling a few nfl stories as we go there that's my other main responsibility besides uh writing columns about the majors uh you're lucky that i'm not gonna do make you do the whole uh podcast in the gary player voice but there will be a, a gary player question later on i'm just gonna warn you about okay. in advance, uh, so. the, the player uh impression which you know well has been kept under wraps for nearly a year or so i think more than a year because it, it debuted at the british last year and and Bacon finally, like, he, he tricked me and made me do it live. He didn't tell me. There wasn't any prep or anything. I, was, I couldn't write out a script or anything. Let's let's be clear about that, though. He, he he suggested it, and you jumped on it within, like, a half a second. Like, okay, here I go. Fine, here I go. There the was family-friendly Gary Player uh, family friendly. impression, yes. Well, in 30 seconds, it, all right, let's see. what if, if Gary Player was doing a segment right now on the Golf Channel, I'm Rich Lerner. I'm going to ask you a question, and you're going to be Gary Player, and you're going to tell me what his take is on the Ryder Cup captain pick. So, Mr. Player, thank you for joining us. Uh, today, Davis Love selected Ricky Fowler, Matt Kuchar, and J.B. Holmes as his captain's picks. Uh, what did you think of the selection? Well, uh, Chris, I, I thought it was an excellent call. I, I like all three young men. I just, I'm hopeful that that uh, Ricky Fowler will not be distracted by the young girls at the Mall of America in between the matches. It's as we know that the young man is a fine-looking fellow, and uh, I just I just worry that the, this mustache is going to be uh, limiting in, in the number of uh, ways he can focus on as all the ladies will be all around him at the at the malls and such. And uh, hopefully, have enough time for push-ups. <laughs> Last question, Mr. Player: What did you think about William McGirt being us uh, uh, bypassed for a spot? William McGirt. I, I know you know Chris that he is, he is my nemesis having won the memorial earlier this year. I, he seems like a fine fellow. I, I don't know him well, but I, I wish him luck, even though I, I feel he has, he has disgraced the game by winning such a prominent tournament that should have been someone, someone more renowned. <laughs> All right, I got that within the first three minutes of the podcast. Oh, great, now I'm crying. So we're we're off to we're off to a flight. Basically, state. just playing out all our inside jokes here. Exactly, exactly. I don't care if nobody gets them. That's fine. But um, all right, so Love made the three picks. They're rather predictable, I would say. Are you surprised at all? They went in this general direction. 
not surprised, especially because Fowler was on the, the you know the task force. I, I think we've been talking for a while. Like, I didn't feel like there was a scenario really where Ricky was going to get left off. And after the Olympics, basically, you knew that Cooch was going to be a part of it too. That enough of the sort of good vibes around the Olympics or the sort of the forced, uh, you know, embrace of the Olympics. I think that we saw by uh, some of the the golf media demanding that we insist that the Olympics was a success meant that sort of Cooch was going to be a part of it. I'm a little bit sort of higher on JB than you. I know that, you know, you're sort of feeling a little bit like, why do I want a guy who's, who's hits it long and then doesn't hit greens and doesn't pop particularly well. I feel like if you were going to sort of pick him or Bubba for that spot, that I'm on, I'm on board with JB. I, I mean, I've talked to him a few times, interviewed him at the here for a little bit. Like JB's, he's got a good vibe to him. I know this sort of like it, we hate in a lot of ways, like when we ignore stats for like chemistry stuff uh, in sports. That's sort of the new way of looking at things. But with Bubba, like there's always the risk that it's going to be rainy or something one morning, and he's going to pout his way through the first match, or he's just going to decide like that he's just not feeling it. He didn't like the McDonald's that he ate or whatever. And so I, I feel like there's no chance at all that JB will like check out quit on you like he is going to be all in wants to prove himself so badly he's part of the last successful sort of Ryder cup team we had i can feel like if he can play well enough in foursomes i'm, I'm on it i'm good i can buy that i think i obviously i'm not like thrilled with the captain's picks but i don't i'm not like screaming injustice at this point i don't think we have a big issue i'm i'm, I'm okay with the picks I think I would have gone with Fowler and Kuchar today as well. Um, I just I just don't think Holmes – I don't know exactly what Holmes gives you. You kind of touched on it. I think if you're going with a bomber, um, you at least want somebody – I mean, Bubba is a great player, T to the green. He really is. Uh, Holmes is not the same iron player that Bubba is. And I just don't know how much you can isolate – his lone elite skill is driving. I don't know how much that means in match play. I really don't. That's why my point was if you're going to go bomber out – I this is I mean I, I don't know what has become of this podcast that I'm making a case for Bubba Watson at this point but um, I, I almost I, I do I'm buying what you're saying though definitely on the chemistry thing I, and I, I it's it's one of those things that I'm just hesitant to weigh in on I've mentioned this on prior podcasts like I we are not in that team room I don't know how much of an impact that truly has I do know that what it comes down to is getting the ball in the hole in as few strokes as possible so. I kind of stick to what I what I know and understand from a statistical standpoint, and the difference between how Bubba has performed on the course this season and JB Holmes is significant. It really is. I know I've been wearing people out with strokes gain stats and whatnot, but and I know that some of JB's like some not all events are measured in strokes gain, so it's not didn't give you the complete picture. But like I said, he's giving away strokes approaching the green, giving away strokes on the green. Uh, yeah, he's been a part of a good a Ryder Cup team that was eight years ago. How, what does that mean? I don't know. Uh, I, and I, he's just not had that great of a year. It's not like he's this like trendy guy going in the right direction. It's, it's not really adding up for me and making me think that there is something more to the chemistry and the, the guys in the team like him. But, I mean, Bubba's got friends on this team, too. I know, well, I, actually, the only one I know of is Ricky Fowler. They, they, the rest of them all may hate him. But it's just amazing to me that we made this big task force and we end up picking 10, 11, 12 on the points list. And it just seems to be the same boys club. 
I, so I think, you know, I, I will say that JB is, I think he's sixth on tour this year in birdie average. So okay. if you're putting him in a four balls match and he's going to make five birdies or whatever, that might be four or five holes that you win there. So that's that's a decent sort of contribution. I mean, I, yeah. I, you know, you can't guarantee it. And I think he's he's not particularly great in like Eagles. I think he's like 160th or something in Eagles per round. But, you know, making six the six most birdies on your rounds on tour, that's... I think that has to be what Love is looking at. I think what when we really talk about like the task force and whatnot, and then we end up picking 10, 11, 12, I think if you like listen to what Mickelson, you see his interview yesterday where he was just saying, well, you know, we have a plan. We, we're not going to find somebody to hear him say, we're not going to find out 30 minutes before the match who we're playing for. <laughs> who was that aimed at? <laughs> you still can't let that go. <laughs> Frankly, I wouldn't. I would have a hard time letting go either. It's funny to see like people still defend Tom Watson and be like, "Oh, well, you know, he just shouldn't have like he shouldn't have done that in public. He shouldn't have shanked him in public." And never like really actually being able to defend the captain's job that Tom Watson did. Like, there's no, there is no defense of of, uh, of the sort of schedule that they, Watson like rolled out 15 minutes up before on a napkin. <laughs> I think it like. I think what Phil's saying is, is, you know, that there's been a lot of sort of planning and talk, you know, whether it's with Fear and Tiger and, and Love and whoever else is the you know, instructor, the vice captain sort of saying, okay, who do you want to play with? Here's how we're going to set up the matches. These are the holes you're going to tee off on. You know, when you go to to Hazeltine to play a practice round or something in between there, I want you to visually, like, think about, like, okay, this is the, the holes we're going to have you go out in this match. We're going to play alternate shot here, so start thinking about this. I mean, it just seems from Phil talking that there he's much more buying in. He's much more willing to sort of do his kind of Phil routine where he's slapping backs and shaking hands and betting huge wads of cash, you know, all sorts of stuff. And I feel like that has to help a little. Like, we can't totally discount the chemistry factor just because we're more into, like, understanding the game analytically now. Yeah, I agree, and they definitely, like, are... I, I, the easiest thing to point back to is our most recent Ryder Cup win, and that's 2008. And Paul Easinger always talking about chemistry, and and it, there is seriously, there's obviously something to that. Real quick, I think I think uh, can we expect in Phil's Hall of Fame speech is going to be similar to Michael Jordan's? He's like still going to be <laughs> listing off all the people that slighted him, and Tom Watson's going to be first on that list. Tom will be probably long gone at that point. He'll still be wait. Is Phil already? I guess he's already in the Hall of Fame, right? They don't do they do speeches for that? I don't know how that works. The joke still stands. Anyways, that's fine. <laughs> Yeah, you know, it would have been nice if Ernie could have played in the Masters playoff, but made that putt on 18, so. (laughs) Uh, Ernie, I see you're in the stands here. You're not wearing a green jacket. Any reason why that might be the case? (laughs) Here, I have an extra. Here, I'll give you borrow one. I brought it in my bag. I've got three of them, actually. (laughs) My kids are wearing them. Um, I I, I think, uh, back to what you were saying a bit on the pairings and the matchups and I, I know that they haven't really used the word pod I know Azinger will give you that word Azinger can introduce himself to you and he'll mention the pod system I'm pretty sure it did work um, I Azinger, creator of the pod system created the pod system <laughs> um, I, do you think that there's a chance that this team Davis Love the assistant captains are I, I've, I've heard the phrase paralysis by analysis do you think that there's a chance that they could become victim to this at this point uh, it's possible. I mean, anything, I think, in terms of the Americans overthinking things is totally possible because there's so much pressure having won two of the last ten. Uh, you know, it, it's a it's a route. I mean, we're, 
you and I have gone, have swung through all the emotions over the last year of thinking like, oh, we're going to absolutely house the Europeans. Like, the U.S. is absolutely going to throttle them to being like, I, I don't see how we can put a winning team on this. You know, with, I mean, so you know, think of like just as like a fans of American golf, how much analysis and how much discussion we do week to week talking about it. You have to think that. You know, this has consumed Love's life for the whole year leading up to it. I would love to read like a big narrative story about how many hours a day he sits up there like staring at stats and looking at paper and going out and playing practice rounds with guys and obsessing over, okay, well, uh, if I if I get Phil and, you know, Zach versus Andy Sullivan and Rory in this match, like who's going to, you know, who's going to tee off on the third hole? Like I'm sure those thoughts go into their heads. And if they tighten up, it's going to be sort of disastrous. What I, what I do think sort of maybe works in the U.S.'s advantage is there is going to be a lot of pressure on the sort of few lions that the Europeans have left. I mean, luckily for the Europeans, Rory's playing putting so much better in the last you know little stretch that having that putting lesson, uh, with the, I forget the guy's name right now, but you know, it seems to have sort of got him feeling a lot better. Because when he's on, when he's like a, just a ruthless killer out there in Ryder Cups, it's a whole different ballgame. Like he's going to win, you know, if he goes 4-0, 5-0, or whatever, that's really hard to sort of overcome because he's so dominant. But if he was playing like he was kind of earlier this year where it's sort of, well, I'm hitting everything to 15 feet and I'm still, I can't make a single birdie because I don't trust myself, then who knows? I mean, so if the Europeans come out and they start firing at, you know, Rory starts making a bunch of birdies and sort of shushing the crowd in reverse to, to read. I don't know. It's, it might sort of start to weigh on the U.S. a little bit. Like, again? Seriously? Like, you know, we're, we have to deal with Mike, uh, with Matthew Fitzpatrick being a Ryder Cup killer? No. <laughs> I, uh, we're going to see if, – if Rory tries to do the reverse read in front of Reed, we're going to see like a Bob Barker, Happy Gilmore <laughs> scenario, I'm pretty sure. Like – Imagine Reed like with a with a, cr- a crowd at his back and not on a, on, a, on opposing soil right now. I cannot wait to see what he's got in store. Oh my! I mean, you I, you have a video that you're you're going to drop at some point, which I I'm already like giddy excited thinking about having seen a little preview of it uh, because it's the perfect sort of Patrick Reed thing ever. Well, I did I did put together a quick video just of just some like highlights from American teams within the last twenty years. Do you have any idea how difficult that was? <laughs> It's all clips of Reed. That's all it is. There's like two other fist pumps from other people because Reed was like a one-man highlight show in 2014, the only guy showing any real emotion out there. But It's fascinating to think. I mean, I think you and I are both in on this. Is like uh, the moment that we sort of like totally fell for Patrick Reed was kind of that moment when he just rushed that drive and then refused to even pick up his tee. And I think I remember tweeting at that moment like, I love cheering for Patrick Reed. Sorry, not sorry. And you retweeted it, and it got like a hundred retweets. It was like all of a sudden people were like, "Yeah, I think I'm in on this." Like, <laughs> there's the one guy who's just given FUs right and left. That was even before the shushing. Like, that was when we it flipped the switch for us. And Reed was like, "Oh my god, we gotta get behind this guy." Here's why I don't get too. I'm not like too animated about captains picks at this point. At this point in 2014, I was recorded on podcast saying. I think Patrick Reed should give up his spot on the team because he's, he was playing so poorly leading up to it, and I just did not like him at all. And I could not have done a further 180 after the Ryder Cup with him. So, uh, again, anything I say, well, I guess my take can never be worse than that one, so I shouldn't be too nervous about, about statements like that. But it kind of just goes to show how much 
all this analysis that we do, all this talking about it that we do, means so little when those balls go up in the air 18 days from now. I mean, it, it, and that's what makes captain's picks conversations so fun and not fun at the same time. Like, uh, there's no way to pr- – so let's say I want Daniel Berger on the team. He's not going to be on the team probably, I'm going to guess. Uh, there's no way I can look back and be like, I was see, I was right. He should have been because we don't know how he would have played. And you can only really doubt what the captain has done. And you talk a little bit about wondering how many hours of his life it takes. Like for me right now, I'm not even like involved in the team in any remote way. I'm worn out from looking at this already. Like worn out with like, thinking about it every day, talking about it with people. And I have no say in it. I can't imagine the pressure that comes with actually having to make these decisions, making sure that the guy, I and mean, it sounds like, I don't know if this is a good or bad thing, but it does sound like there's so much control in other places with the assistant captains and with the players on the team that love, I don't know if that's a, his way of kind of um, moving the potential blame off of himself and kind of easing the pressure uh, or not. And, I, yeah, I don't know if this is a good or bad thing. We don't really have a winning formula to go off of, but I think he's he's opened himself up to a lot of criticism. I mean, he's just, he's, yeah, he's made it, if he'd gone with like fresh blood, just like, if he'd just gone Berger, JT, Ryan Moore, Kevin Naw, then I think people would have bought into that and, and if they lost, he wouldn't have, they wouldn't have doubted him. I think if we lose this one, it's going to be really ugly. I mean, we can't have like a second task force, you know, There's, what what good is that going to do, really? I mean, I, literally, I think I want like Mickelson to just be the next captain or Tiger to be the next captain because, we, you know, one of those, I mean, I, I think that the idea, you know, the idea that Tiger didn't care about the Ryder Cup, I think, is sort of really unfair over the years. I mean, maybe it just, he didn't always feel comfortable entirely in sort of, like, having to drag around DeMarco's, you know, <laughs> like iron play through, throughout some of those Ryder Cups. But, like, if you look at that, that was one of my favorite pictures uh, in golf. It's a picture, of, like, from behind the green when um, Justin Leonard made that putt in 99 and I'm not kidding Tiger is like four and a half feet off the ground and like his his right leg is like it's like he's hurling over you know Bernard Longer or something to get (laughs) to get part of the celebration he is so into that moment that you can't look at that picture and be like oh yeah Tiger didn't really care about the Ryder Cup like I'm someone who has held Tiger to a totally unfair standard over the years and have some regrets now about it that he's out of you know my life on a sort of daily you know sporting basis and i i really am all all in and wishing like him to be one of the next you know one of the next three four captains the whole i guess i don't even remember the source of when what where, where did that start with was it Dave, i think it was david duval's comments calling it an exhibition where did that that whole narrative of the us players not caring about the ryder cup come from i know he i know duval said something about not getting paid for it which yeah. i mean well, Tiger and Phil were were big on that of like, you know, you're kind of, I don't like, I can't really plan them for this because they were sort of looking around like, okay, this is a huge moneymaker for the PGA of America. Like, and all of this money is going to you guys. Like what? So when they sort of fought up against, you know, Hey, let's donate some of this money to charity. And eventually they had to sort of fight to get that done. And then, but the, the narrative media wise, and this is even before you and I could ever even considered like media people. So this is a whole generation of other people saying, Oh, how dare they be less grateful? I mean, it's the same kind of thing that you hear about college football players that they should just shut up and play, you know, you know, someone's making money off of you. You ought to have some say in where it goes. And I guess that was before the huge, I mean, right as the, the tiger boom of money was coming in. So it wasn't, these guys were not 
they were wealthy, don't get me wrong, but they were not the filthy millionaires that they are now, right? I mean, that's so I'm sure there was at least something to that. Uh, but it seems like now these guys talk about it so much and care about it uh, to a point where it almost feels too much. Like, how often do you hear like Sergio or Rose or Rory like really talk about their excitement for the Ryder Cup? To them, it just seems like such a natural. I don't know. They're like they're just ooze, seem to ooze confidence about it that doesn't border on cocky, and it's almost like uh, that. We is it fair to say that we maybe care too much? The players care too much. They're trying too hard to to get the monkey off their back and get this losing streakish thing over with. I think you know. I think there's a lot of things. I think that's that's maybe part of it. They care too much. I also think that for a long time that Europe sort of saw it as their chance to sort of say, you know, we play golf pretty darn well over here over the pond other side of the pond i mean if you look at like history who were the greatest golfers of all time you know it's it's bobby jones it's nicholas it's woods you know you can't really find a european until you get down to like harry varden you know or or, excuse me uh yeah varden and and some of the like you know and faldo and some of those guys like they don't have a person with 10 majors you know so I think there was for a long time sort of an American arrogance of like, ha yeah, the Ryder Cup, we, you know, England shows up and we just absolutely stomp them and then we go, you know, off to drink or whatever. And so when the year, when, you know, Seve came around and, and started to sort of embrace this, like, yeah, we're coming right back at you, you know, the war on the shore and stuff, that one was huge. And I think that the Europeans kind of saw this every kind of time out as like their chance to sort of stick it to these sort of cocky Americans. And, you know, if you look at them like, Politically, a lot of those European guys are sort of liberal, they're progressive, the tour is very sort of conservative, so underlying elements of that were always kind of, you know, there. And I think that they just sort of embraced it as a, in terms of like, well, we have nothing to lose because everyone expects us to sort of get house the Americans. They're the ones who sort of dominated the game for a century. And, you know, now the only chance we really got to kind of be great was to, you know, win, have the Open Championship when Peter Larder was sort of winning five British Opens. But, you know, it's a whole different deal now. They've just always, this Ryder Cup, Riley, I mean, Rick Riley wrote something like, they always managed to find a guy who's like, we've barely ever heard of, who they're sort of, you know, who's winning a couple, you know, tournaments on the European Tour, like Thomas LeVay or whatever. And they throw him out there, they hide him all week, and then all of a sudden he's winning a match against Duvall, or he's winning a match against you know, Tom Kite or whatever, and you don't get it. Like, you're just like, who is this dude? Who is this, like, Frenchman who, they, I mean, they, one year, I remember, they didn't even, they had one guy who they didn't play all week and he, until singles, and they threw him in there and he won his match. I can't remember who it was. I feel, I feel like it was in, it was the one in Spain. Uh, and I was just like, what? Like, who? How? But they just, they exude that sort of, like, freewheeling confidence that we've never really had. And I think that does go back to the whole, like, what I was trying to get to is that anything really can happen. And I know we were talking about this in our group chat today as well. Just like, it, it doesn't, I don't know, you don't, you can put the, you can put the 12 best players in the world on one team and put the next 12 on the other team. And like, what do you think the odds are? Probably like maybe 65, 35 that the other team would, the, the A team would win. I mean, if you do that in the NBA, you're going to get, that, that A team is going to win every single time, right? And so with the golf, it's just such a you know in match play in that short. It, it's such a quick event. It's three days. If your yeah. game disappears, like in PGA Tour, if your game disappears for two days, you miss a cut, you're back the next week. Like 
Jordan Spieth missed the first two cuts of the playoffs last year and won the FedEx Cup. Like, it, it, it doesn't necessarily mean anything about you as a player if you play poorly or great over that stretch of three days. And we all like to go back to our favorite moments, either positive or negative, about certain players. Like, I'm guilty of it too. Like, I want Reed on the team and playing probably all five matches, just be based on what he did in 2014. There's no guarantee that's going to happen again, but uh, we just have so few like experiences to draw off of. That's why I'm very selective about when I cite Pete players' records. I gladly use it against Furyk uh, because I think that that is one guy that we have a huge sample on to be able to reach conclusion. Do you think we are safe from Furyk getting that final captain's pick? I think so. I don't see how you could pick Furyk now, like two weeks later or whatever, right. like after you've already made the other picks. I mean, he's, he's, if he had made the Tour Championship, I think we could all be a little bit nervous. I, I think got to think on some level, too, the fact that he's sort of a vice captain or whatever, that he's participating in the stuff, has got to make Love feel like, well, you're still going to be a part of this. You're still going to sort of, you know, you, you get to come and be, you know, wear a hat and all that stuff. So uh, the, the idea that, you know, we're just going to leave him home seems like a little bit harsher I, you know I, I've you know a year ago or whatever in our chat like I was sort of starting this idea of like you better watch out because these captains have always tried to take care of their older guys and as every comment that love made throughout the year like well you know if Jim had been there was like it sent a shiver down our spine it's like no no we've done this we've already <laughs> been down this road stop it <laughs> so you know it's like what Kenny Perry's getting making this I mean he wasn't a captain's pick but he's like 50 one or something. I mean, that just kind of logic makes no sense. You know, why keep repeating over and over the stuff that hasn't worked? You know, that's why we were sort of on the Justin Thomas kind of train earlier. It's like, okay, like you don't have to play him in five matches. Like, put him out there just in in foursomes and let him make a ton of birdies. And the other guy can sort of pick him up when he's making bogeys. And why won't that sort of help? It not only helps build for the future, but it might help right now. And you know, I think. Putting Furyk on the team, Furyk should be maybe the cap- a captain one of these you know, time rounds. He's, he has enough of a resume that you know if you win in a major as American, if you're you've won a ton of tournaments over time, you should you should get it. Unless you're Larry Nelson, who for some reason didn't get to be the captain, and I'm going to bring that up on every podcast since. But because uh, <laughs> Larry Nelson got screwed, but but Jim Furyk, you know, he should be a captain at some point. But that doesn't mean he should be on the team forever. I, I struggle with, I guess, first of all, you mentioned Justin Thomas. I think you meant to say four ball. You said foursomes, just saving just saving some mentions in your in your Twitter inbox. But um, that's kind of one of the things, too, that I have a hard time. Unless you screw it up as badly like as Watson did, I have a hard time from my seat determining what makes a good captain and what doesn't, right? I mean, the fact that the PGA of America, seem, and it seems to be this way for a while, and I don't think it's going to stay this way, or I guess at least it was like this for the Europeans for a while, and they've gone away from it. And that in winning a major was a criteria to being a captain of this team, which I never really understood why Sean McKeel would be qualified to do this and why Sergio Garcia wouldn't, you know, or something like that. <clears throat> so hopefully, hopefully that line of thinking is changing. Um, but I mean, again, it, in my mind, it's about the captain's job is about forming as good of a team as possible. Okay, so for me, the chemistry stuff, again, there may be an element to it that I don't fully understand, but the chemistry issue is solved by getting the ball in the hole as fast as possible and as few strokes as possible, right? I mean, I heard Ted Bishop say, I think it was on Bacon's podcast the other day, saying, like, you know, we look back 
at the, the captaincy of 2014 of Tom Watson, but you look, you forget that the Europeans outplayed us by 35 strokes. And it's like, well, no, listen, part of the deal, what we're getting at here is they didn't build the best team. They didn't put the guys in a great place to succeed. And so that, that that's part of the deal, right? And um, the fact that they made the captain's picks when they did, and they only took three captain's picks, I think they did, they've at least improved that process. But it's still just, it's it's hard for me to say that the captain's job is more than making sure there's not huge conflicts within your team, uh, finding guys that they're comfortable playing with each other and getting the best players out there and giving them a chance to succeed. It, it, do you think there's a major part of that that I'm missing? No, I think that that's totally right. I think that in golf that there's, especially because we've done it this way for so long and there's always this like build-up and obsession of like who's in the 11th spot, who's in the 12th spot, there seems to be this like protectionist policy of like, well, we don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. How could we pass up on the number 12 guy when he was so close to getting one of the you know top eight spots until like the last three weeks or whatever, and we... You know, we've done it too. Like we're guilty. We overcalculate uh, all the stats, and well, if this, if this tournament counted, like the guys who we want would be there, and you know, maybe just put. The, I mean, like they don't with USA basketball, like they don't calculate like quite like you know, like this at point average. It's totally different, obviously, but they just sort of pick the team that they want to pick, and they, some guys they say, "Yeah, I don't think you're a good fit. We're leaving you home," and you don't like it, tough deal. You know that that's a totally different way to look at it, but for some reason, golf doesn't you know we're so kind of obsessed with well we, we got to just go with essentially the top 12 point qualifiers there's no like total wild card that we can bring in here uh that you know is a young sort of good chance i mean every international team in some way and we, it's just especially true with the president's cup my god why are we not like putting two young guys on those teams every single time like yeah if we lost the president's cup it would be embarrassing but i'll take a president's cup loss if it means like we're a better Ryder cup team down the road right i i agree the problem with that is it's run by two different organizations right pj tour runs the president's cup pj america runs the Ryder cup and it's not their interests are not aligned because i made this case very strongly uh that brooks kepka should be on the president's cup team last year specifically be exactly what you're saying like this guy's going to be on our teams for probably the next decade um, and might as well get him some experience. I think we can talk a bit about what we actually think experience means. But a um, question I have for you, and I will admit before I even ask it, it is a very leading question. Um, I, I'm willing to go back to 2008, and I'm not using that as a bookend just because that's the last one the U.S. won. I just think 06, well, first of all, we can have an entire podcast about the 2006 Ryder Cup. We're not going to do that. 06 and 04 are such ridiculous outliers. The U.S. team lost 18 and a half, 9 and a half, and both of them just terrible teams. 2002, again, that's uh, we're going too far back there. So I'm looking at the last four Ryder Cups. Do you think things are as bad for this this U.S. group as as uh, I don't know I don't want to say people, but as people make it out to be? Um, no, I mean, wouldn't our whole mentality? feel different in some ways if we had won in 12. Like, and do you remember the like the sequence of events that had to happen? Yeah, I mean it was insane. Like it was ridiculous. Like it was in or in in 10 or 12. You know, both of those matches are so close and one I mean 12 is like ridiculous. 12 is like if that crazy um chip that Mickelson makes in that match that misses, like, that lips out in that match with Rose, where he does the sort of take his hat off and clap when Rose makes... I mean, either one of those things is so close that if that one of those shots goes in and the other doesn't, the whole Ryder Cup flips. I mean, that's that's honestly, even though I was, like, 
physically in pain. That's one of my favorite sporting events ever. Like I, I wrote something about it, you know, just about like why when Sevi sort of excuse me when when Jose Maria Olofaba like looked up at the sky and like broke down in tears thinking about Sevi. That was such a great like powerful sports moment. And if anything goes different, like in that match, like if Tiger goes out and houses Molinari, beats him, you know, freaking you know eight and six. There, there's not nearly as much pressure on Fierk to blow that match against Sergio. Or there's not nearly as much pressure on Phil to have to win his match. Like That that whole thing could have flipped on literally like one hole in all those matches. So, I don't know. Like, Are we putting together horrible teams? Not necessarily in 10 and 12. Like, Those are pretty good teams that just happen to sort of get beat. You know what? If Poulter doesn't go nutso in that previous day, making like four, five straight birdies to have that match against Stricker and Tiger, like... Do they, you know, does that cup flip? Probably. And that's why we hate Polters, because he stuck it in our eye when we most needed to close him out. It's, it really does burn, because that was, like, the most ridiculous Ryder Cup. Like, it, it really did flip a Ryder Cup, like what, what Poulter did. Uh, I just I just was Googling while you were talking. I, found, I I wrote this in 2014, just the sequence of events that happened for the Euros, that had to happen for the Euros to win in 2012, which was... Um, on Saturday, Stricker missed a 12-foot birdie on 18 that would have had his match. Okay, Poulter birdies the last five holes on Saturday to win one up. Like that, 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 that goes down in, in Ryder Cup history. As much as I hate Ian Poulter, that is absolutely remarkable. Rory got a police escort to make his tea time on Sunday. <laughs> Like, he almost his, literally his missed his tea time. wife apparently knocked on his hotel room door and was like, hey, aren't you supposed to be at your match in 20 minutes? I, I still have a lot of questions about, about that sequence of events. There. We all do, but let's leave it there. Okay, so after the Rory eh, needed a police escort and won his match against Keegan, by the way, um, Justin Rose birdies the last two holes, including a 35-footer on 17 to beat Phil one up. And Phil's chip, yep. as you mentioned, lipped out. Yep. Furyk bogeys the last two holes to lose one down to Sergio. Stricker bogeys 17 and fails to birdie 18 to lose one down to Keimer. I think he had a look at it on 18 is why I wrote that. So if, if one of those things flips, the U.S. wins the Ryder Cup. Like, absolutely one of them. And one thing, I, I've always wondered why people didn't give Tiger more grief for this, but Tiger had like a three-foot putt on 18 to have the, to have the Ryder Cup, like to tie. Like, Europe would have retained the Cup. But I feel like there's a difference there, don't you? Like 14-14 is different than 14-and-a-half, 13-and-a-half. I feel like he got a free pass play. He looked completely disinterested in the putt and like that it, it, people didn't even mention it afterwards. I know it really wouldn't have mattered, but did that matter to you? A little bit. It felt weird, but I was so like despondent about the total collapse that I couldn't. I was, I was annoyed with him for essentially shooting. Like I don't think he made a birdie in that match until like 16. I mean, it was, it was really not good. I mean, it, it was that was when he was still the number one player in the world, and Molinari basically, like, slapped it around and didn't... It, everyone kept thinking throughout that day, like, okay, you, we know this match is, like, in the bag. Like, of course Tiger's going to win this match four up or, you know, even worse. And Molinari just basically, like, shot 70, Tiger 71, and ended up winning that match. And so that's where I was sort of totally disappointed. I was like, why aren't you dropping the throttle on this dude to give us a little bit of breathing room? You know, and it just didn't happen. Like, it just, I, I still can't, it, it was almost like revenge for 99 because it just sort of felt like, oh, yeah, like, we, everything's going well. We're clicking, a little nervous about what Poulter did yesterday, but, you know, this, this is no big deal. We only got to win five matches today, and nope, like, couldn't even get that done. It oh, just, they were up 10 4. 10 4 on Saturday before yeah. that Poulter match went down. Yeah. 
imagine the the Ryder Cup that happens when Poulter is the captain for Europe. Oh, no, like who do you want to see? Like, is that where we've got to go? I mean, it's, it makes us older, so it's that I can't imagine who I want exactly like to sort of lock horns with Poulter. But I wanted I wanted to be someone of the same kind of mentality <laughs> because I don't want I can't imagine living it down at 50 years old or whatever when Ian Poulter is like drinking champagne and like dancing all over the, I don't know, the Donald Trump Doral Ryder Cup. <laughs> it's going to be Poulter and Phil in 2024 at Bethpage, right? Poulter's a little young to get that cabinship, right? I mean, he's still, he's 40, I guess. Oh, Phil's 46. I don't know. That's eight, maybe. That's eight years away. I mean, how old's Love when he got it for the first time? He's 46 or so, whatever. Um, I think what so was it I, briefly? David Tom's is slated to be twenty eighteen captain. Is that what I've heard? Does that sound consistent with what you've heard? But that's a, yeah, I, that's what like I think I've heard because you get you know guys who win the PGA Championship get a chance to yeah. usually be a captain. But that, does that inspire you at all? Like what? No. What did David Tom? I mean, I like David Tom's made the most of his career, uh, you know, of his abilities, and you know he won. He's sort of the anti player for our mentality because he won a major by laying up literally and it was it just makes me ill thinking about that uh and you know i i don't know i mean david's i would really be curious to hear like what tom's is like mentality was what his sort of plan was how was he sort of attacking the idea of being i, I just don't know I, i'm not sure that i could totally be on board he'd have to kind of win me over in some yeah, and then Stricker in 2020, I think. Well, first of all, if Tom's going to be what, – wouldn't you think he would have been an assistant captain at least once before? I know that's not necessarily yeah. a criteria, but you don't even hear his name as a part of this process at all. That's why I don't think – that's the only I, – I, I have no inside information on this at all. I just have a hard time seeing him be the captain in 2018. I know I've heard that. Uh, 2022, do we know who that's going to be? or does? Has, I feel like that, there's been a rumor out there on that as well. I mean, isn't maybe that's Tiger, right? Like you got to wow. think that he's going to be – you know, asked to do it at some point in there. Forty-six. Yeah, wouldn't I feel like his first one would be at home? You think? I, th- I wouldn't mind taking Tiger to Europe. Like, you know, certainly he knows how to play like all different kinds of golf, and he would be a good person to sort of, you know, say they have that. At, I don't know. It's, I wish they'd have these at more like some iconic uh, like venues across Scotland or whatever. Like, why are we going to Paris or whatever? And you know, and next time around and stuff. I I want to see like Carnoustie host a Ryder Cup or. You know, one of the these old sort of fun courses. Yeah, why are we going to, like, Nicholas courses? Like, what was the point of going to Glen Eagles? I don't understand that at all. No. I guess we really don't tend to care about the golf courses that much for these cups. I mean, the, they, the course really just becomes kind of brushed aside, and um, and the, the, the match the match play format is what becomes the storyline. Um, I mean, how much fun would it be to have a Ryder Cup at Pebble Beach or something? I know, like, the, obviously the courses are sort of – there's all these politics behind the back doors, which you and I could never even imagine, like, understanding in some ways. But, like, you know, there's, like, this pecking order for what courses are vying for PGAs and what courses are vying for U.S. Opens and what courses are, you know, should be Ryder Cup venues, whatever. But I mean, the neat thing about Bethpage is, is that, like, we kind of know Bethpage a little bit. You know, it's, it's not Valhalla where there's been one major in the last, you know, 20 years. Like, we've been to Bethpage a few times that go there every year for the Barclay, you know, for the one tournament every year and stuff. And so knowing those holes makes it sort of feel fun. I mean, the thing that's fun about the Masters is that you can anticipate in your mind the holes that are coming up and what that means. And so we can spend like a whole year kind of dreaming about, well, you know, how much fun will it be like if Rory and Spieth are sort of 
you're buying, you know, going down the back nine and they're both hitting second shots into 13 trying to make eagle. We can kind of do that with Bethpage or we could do that with, you know, places like, you know, like Pebble Beach or, or places that are sort of more familiar. We can't really do that with like Glen Eagles. I mean, you, you played Glen Eagles or whatever, like, or the K Club. You know, like, who would ever even thought about those courses before the Ryder Cups came? Yeah, no, I. I don't even like have any memory of the. Well, again, that was the 06 Ryder Cup team, so I don't have any rem- memory of the actual K Club at that golf course. I did play it. It's a really fun golf course. I think that they are going for. They don't. For some reason, they don't want to seem to have this at Link style golf course. I don't know why. I don't know if that's for the fan reasons or the logistics. I really, I really don't know. Uh, having been to one Ryder Cup, it is like it is truly a logistical. I don't know what the word is, dynamic, I guess you could say. Like, there's four groups out there, and there are just tens of thousands of people. Like, there's not much golf being played. You're not seeing a whole lot. So, you, I imagine that, yeah, the, the, the main concern for them is the logistical, um, I guess, imagination to it. I remember having to wait like an hour and a half at Medina in 2012 for like waiting for the first group to come by. And we just got, we were like 10 rows deep on number 15 green, which is drive all par four. And like we had, that's how early we had to get there just to see the four groups come through. And the rest of the day, we tried to like follow some people, and we didn't see much golf the rest of the day. So I, I know that's at least one factor that goes into it. But I'm guessing money and politics as a lot bigger factor that goes into it. And again, I don't think we have enough time to even uh, remotely or uh, time or understanding to know how that goes down. The dirty, the dirty secret about golf is that it's hard to watch like in person and understand like the full scope of what's going on in the tournament. Yep. I mean, I. You know, at the Masters this year, I didn't get to see. You know, I, I saw watched Willett play through Eamon Corner, but then I didn't stick. I didn't go on with him. I went back and watched Spieth, and so I was there on twelve. You know, watching him melt down. Anyone who was with Spieth, like watching that happen, like Porter and I were in real time, they didn't get to see Danny Willett like birdie fourteen, which was sort of ended up being a huge sort of moment in that match because Spieth looks up at the scoreboard and sees that Willett has just birdied. He's just made another bogey. All of a sudden, his lead is one, so he's got to make kind of a nervy swing on 12. Like, if you're watching on TV, you're seeing all that sort of unfold, but you can't really do that in person. So that's why it's sort of complicated, I think, sometimes. I think the best golf stories when we get in the media are from people who get out there and walk and get, get lucky and get something happens right in front of their eyes. But a lot of the time, it's just hard to do because you can't see. It's, it's easier to watch on TV. I think it's become like the NFL in that way. It's like going to an NFL game, really not all that fun because you don't have you know access to replay. You don't have like you can't. It's really you have to sit with binoculars. You have drunk morons like screaming behind you. Like I love the Ryder Cup for the experience, but if watching it, I think that for me this time is when my first can be really different. Trying to kind of you know walk it all especially in a place where you can't use your phone what there are a lot of places are if you can't like see what's going on ahead like I, you have no idea like what's happening i still love the story from you and porter at the at the masters you were there on speed when he melted down on 12 and uh adam stanley our friend adam stanley tweeted like yeah I, I, you know kyle porter's out there um i think he's following speed's group can't wait to hear what he has to say and I guess Porter had just got back to the media center, and the very next tweet I saw on my timeline, it was back-to-back tweets, Porter just goes, I have seen unspeakable things. <laughs> like, Stanley couldn't wait to hear what he had to say, and then Porter's like, I am not going to talk about what I have just seen. <laughs> it was hilarious to me. But you're exactly right. Like, I, I went to, I, I don't go to many tournaments anymore, but I went to the Memorial this year, 
And I was just amazed how much I forgot about the golf tournament. Like, I just watched the golf that was in front of me. And I was like, oh, yeah, William McGirt's winning this thing. I, I guess I just didn't even care about it. Whereas TV, it's all just like the narrative driven right down your face, and you're only seeing the leaders. So it, it is very different in person than it is in reality. But, um, all right, we've been kind of whirlwind here. But I, I, we did talk about J.B. Holmes. But I want to get your opinion on Ricky Fowler. Um, would you have taken him as a pick? Do you understand the pick by love? Uh, would he be on your team? Uh I think so. Yeah, I mean, you got to have somebody to play with Jimmy Walker, and you feel like they've been playing these Tuesday money matches against, you know, Phil and whomever all for a year, and those are there's certainly some pressure when you're putting for five thousand bucks or whatever on a on a hole. Uh, I, that's Nixon seems to think that that's a huge component in like learning how to play like good match play golf. Um, I, you know, Rick obviously hadn't had the year that we all thought he was. The talent is absolutely there. Like we know that this guy has a complete game. That he's a, you know, when he's playing well, he's a great driver of the ball. He's a great wedge player. He's a great iron player. Like there's really, obviously, the weaknesses in his game have sort of shown up more in the second half of the year. But he has played like okay in the last. You know, I mean, he, he played pretty well at the PGA. Uh, he obviously didn't finish. You know, the other guys ran away with it. But I mean, I just feel like Ricky's gonna be a part of American golf, you know, for the next 10 years, like a huge part of it. And he was close enough to where you're like, yeah, I definitely like, if it's, if there's a question of doubt, like I'm not going to sort of upset over, well, you know, it wasn't quite, you know, better than this person in, you know, strokes, strokes gain approach. I'm a big believer in that, but I, I also not going to sort of make it the deciding factor in whether to leave a super talented player off just because he's had sort of a, a bad streak of it. Right. That last thing, part of what you said is, is right exactly where I am in that, look, I, I, yeah, I've gotten a little stats heavy the last couple times, a couple weeks, but again, I'm looking at, like, just like you said, a very talented player that was fifth in stroke, total strokes gain for this season amongst American players. Like, it's not like he's had this disaster season. I don't get where this is coming from. It's this weird point system that, you know, gives a lot of weight to majors. Yes, he did not play well in majors this year. Does that mean he's not going to play well for three days in September and October in Hazeltine in Minnesota? I don't think I don't think that's necessarily a great correlation. Uh, I made that same argument that you know Jim Furyk finished second at Oakmont. I don't think that means anything come September October. Um, for me, it's about lining up the best possible players. I think yeah, Ricky's had a less than stellar year, but I think he is one of the best players, one of the best players that the U.S. can have or can can, can put on this team. If there were guys like Berger or JT that were beaten down the door, that were really coming on strong, uh, could you make the case for those guys over someone like Ricky? Maybe, sure. I mean, I could see that a lot better than I do. I mean, yeah, people are clamming for Ryan Moore, Kevin Na. You know, I've been clamoring for Berger. Some people will still go with JT. And it's not like these guys are even outperforming the guys that you want to bypass. And I know, again, that also doesn't mean that they would be better in the Ryder Cup. Some people have seen enough of Kuchar and enough of Fowler in Ryder Cups to not want them on the team anymore. But like you just said, he's going to be a huge part of American golf for a long time. He's not going away. Um, I just could not justify not putting him on this team. Along the same lines, do do you feel similarly, differently about Matt Kuchar's selection? I kind of feel indifferently towards Cooch. I mean, I, I, I he's such a nice guy that I think that, you know, he gets a lot of sort of love from people for if he was had a different game, like people would, you know, if, you know, if he was a different, if that same personality was on a guy with the, 
if that same game was on a guy with a different personality, people wouldn't care about him. It's like a lot of Cooch, you know, sort of like, oh, yeah, like, I, I love Cooch. He's always smiling. He's always a great guy. Like, Cooch should be, like, always, you know, Cooch, he doesn't make a ton of birdies. Like, he doesn't make a ton of mistakes. He certainly has shown, like, in a couple Masters that he, pressure is not exactly something that he rises to the occasion to. But I think he's sort of a good team guy. He's certainly, like, going to be someone who a lot of the guys are like yeah i'd love to go out there with cooch i'll play with cooch i know he's gonna you know put some balls uh you know that are going to give us a chance to, to make some birdies in this match so i won't have to carry us this match oh with tiger in i want to say that up where they were doing the goofy like will smith uh, the fresh prince sort of handshakes and stuff that was fun like that was a sort of memorable moment for me so i i, I, I can like make an argument against cooch you know, but I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and tell you, like, yeah, it's got to be on my team. By the way, I cannot think of Ricky at the Ryder Cup without thinking about your tweet about how Rory was basically carving Team Europe's initials in the back of his hair with his paper blades. <laughs> this is still one of my favorite Ryder Cup tweets. So I was like, we're, we're pretty, obviously, we're pretty pro USA until, like, we're getting housed. And then it's like, well, what are the funniest jokes I can Yeah. It's gotten a lot harder to make. Ricky doesn't follow me, but it's gotten a lot harder to make like jokes about some players that follow me now, and I know they're going to see them. Like, you could put a time stamp on when I stopped making jokes about Rory because he, <laughs> I think it was like October of last year or whatever. And uh, yeah, it's a lot more. It's a lot more challenging. Not that I'm not that I'm complaining about it, but but I saw he favorited one of your tweets where you were like making fun of his wedge game once. It's like I've hit as many quality shots as uh, Rory did, and he was like, "Yep." <laughs> yeah, he, he'll throw a like in there, and uh, pretty it's pretty hilarious sometimes what he does with the ones he he uh, ones that I'm surprised if somebody with that many followers would uh, and is that under that much scrutiny. Like you could scroll through his likes and be like, oh, maybe he doesn't really like this player. Maybe he doesn't. Uh, cue like I wouldn't be the guy who like is like writing down funny tweets or taking screen caps of them and then showing them to to Charles Howell. But when he was talking about like. Oh, I don't, I don't follow you. I don't really do Twitter, but people show me like tweets. <laughs> so like, someone's like got a, pin, a carrier pigeon where they're like, "Oh, you got, I got this hilarious Bowditch tweet that Chris <laughs> had." Charles Howe definitely has Twitter. I've called him on this before. Like, it may be a secret account. Maybe he does just read it, but I know you have Twitter out there. But you know, there's an egg out there that's Mickelson somewhere. <laughs> like. Googling all of it, like, you know Mickelson loves to read the jokes about himself, and, like, sort of like, ah, nice, love that, uh, love that Tron crack about uh, me ducking the IRS. <laughs> I, if, if, that, if you can't tell, I'm always willing to make a Phil joke, because I know, A, he's not on Twitter, so B, definitely doesn't follow me, so everything <laughs> is fair game when it comes to Phil, if you, if you, can, if you can't tell. With well, the amount of jokes that Phil makes about other players, I feel like, you know, Phil is Phil is aware constantly of like all the sort of cracks about himself and everything. Like, yeah, I, Phil, that that tweet that I had where I was joking about Phil talking about parlays or whatever, I can almost guarantee Phil like saw it. It's like, yeah, pretty accurate. Yeah, <laughs> I feel like yeah, he would he would be more proud of it than he would be upset. He'd be like, yeah, totally. I'm glad totally. I have this reputation. Um, okay, I, why don't we get to, uh, we've almost been uh, 50 minutes now, and we haven't got to any Twitter questions yet, so why don't we plow through a few of these. A um, person named Kyle Porter, at Kyle Porter CBS, uh, says, who would you kick out of our WhatsApp thread if you had to kick one person out? Mm, that's tough. Um, well, I, started, I said on Twitter, like, I, I would kick out uh, hashtags, uh, 
Mexico phone. What? He, can, he, he takes that so he can read our WhatsApp chat when he's out of the country, which I feel like is very elitist. Like it's just we don't need any resort phones in our uh, in our chat. So the chat would still get to stay, but he would just have to sort of be on a chat band when he left the country. So. In his defense, he may just do it so his work phone isn't getting all these illicit messages. That is correct. How, how often do you wake up, in, since you're on a totally different time zone, and there are like 50 messages from us like going off about some sort of inner workings of the conspiracy? <laughs> well, that's the worst because by the time I wake up, you guys are asleep, so I can't respond to anything. I've missed the conversation, and any response I send goes you know, eight hours without anyone looking at it. And then by the time you guys read it, you're just now waking up anyways and probably like not ready to talk about anything. So, yeah, it was worst so part. Fun to, like, to just knock off a fire joke and then be like, oh, come on, guys. Crickets. Like, dude, like, what? I can't even get like a, like a smiley face, an LOL about that. I do. Sometimes when that happens, I will like, go in. You can check in WhatsApp, seeing who has read the messages. Oh, I'll be like, oh, I'm aware. <laughs> I'll be like, oh, come on. Has somebody read? Has somebody seen this yet? Um, all right, keeping the keeping the within the WhatsApp group uh, questions coming. DJ Pi wants to know if you had twelve captains picks, how would the team be different? Mm. I don't know if the question's asking if you are Davis Love, how does it look different, or if you are deciding. So you can go either way with that. I think. I mean, I would sort of say, you know what? Like, I don't think there's a huge difference between eleven and twelve, and whoever I want to pick. So guess what? I'm putting. DeChambeau on the team and I'm putting JT on the team and those you know those are going to be for sure guys as I'm building for the future it's like I'm bringing up my sort of young kids to let them learn what the atmosphere is like I mean if you ever watch that like uh uh thing with Faraday where Keegan Bradley talks about the first tee shot that he ever hit in the Ryder Cup and Phil comes up to him before it and he was like I don't want it's you know they're playing alto shot he's like I don't want eight iron into this hole I don't want nine iron I want effing wedge (laughs) Keegan is like, he's telling the story, and he's like, he's, he's so scared on that tee. The fans are like going nuts. They finally calm down, and he just nukes a drive like 340. And so Phil has wedged in the first hole. He said that he could not believe how nervous he was. That's the atmosphere that you have to prepare for, and you, you can't do it without, you know, getting some experience, I think. And so, like, literally, would I have, you know, would I have Zach on the team? I don't think so, obviously. Like, winning a major whatever we talked about, you know, 15 months ago means very little. I I don't think I would have Jimmy Walker on the team. I'd just be like, you know what, guys? This hasn't worked at all. I don't care if your feelings are hurt. I don't care if this is the way that we've done things in the past. I'm picking the best team that I got, and it's going to be filled with a lot of guys who make birdies. Um, I think... I would. I'm. I'm similar to you, and the team that uh, that I would put together would look a lot different. No ZJ, no Sneds. Um, I probably wouldn't have Holmes on my team. Um, but I mean, I don't know. We've been we've been over it, over it, back and forth a million times on it, on the point system, and how I think it's just silly to to you know straddle a captain with eight guys that he's forced to take, and it should just be the the automatic qualifier should just be like a dead given. Like the whole thing it coming down to the last few holes, the Barclays for. Who was going to get the last spot? It just kind of seems. It just doesn't. That's not the. It doesn't. Uh, how does that help you form a better team? You know, I, I don't think that that. It should be like maybe four automatic spots or, like, the automatic qualifiers for this year's team should have been like Spieth and DJ. Like that's really the only two guys that have been like, hands down, you like fully earned it. But um, I don't know. They're not going to change it. They're not going to add more than four captains picks. I don't think so. Um, Will Bardwell wants to know, or he just says, "We're going to lose, aren't we?" I, I 
mean, I keep spinning around back and forth on this. I don't think so. I, I think either. that, you know, I think that we're still going to win. It's at home. You know, we're, we, other than Oakland Hills and the Hal Sutton disaster, like, played pretty well at home. Uh, so I, I got to think that we have a really, like, we should almost be favored. Like, why shouldn't we? We're, we have more talent, the better team. DJ is clearly the best player in the world right now. Uh, you know, especially if you take Jason Day out of the equation because he's an international player. Like, is DJ, would you pick DJ in a match against any one of their dudes? Rory's the only person who I would say, like, oh, well, that's a push. Like, any one of those other guys, DJ is supposed to win that match. You know, Spieth is, is actually really good at this sort of format, and I think he's going to play pretty well. You know, Brooks Koepka is going to, basically has the best Ryder Cup mentality other than Reed that you can imagine. You know, we have we have a lot of things working in our favor and I feel like we get to decide the format. So we get to you know who what what we're rolling matches we're rolling out first. I think that helps, you know, so you don't have guys rolling out there an alternate shot, which we've never been particularly great at, uh, the first morning of it when they're still nervous, you know. All of that I think is gonna sort of play to our hands. Now if if rookie guys like Matthew Fitzpatrick and Andy Sullivan or whatever play really like lights out like Europeans always seem to do then if Rory plays he goes 5-0 and yeah then I think we might be you know grinding out to the last day but uh, Americans are the favorite in my opinion and you know they may not want to embrace that they may not feel like it at all because they've gotten housed but I still think that they're going to win yep I'm agreeing I think final score is 15 and a half 12 and a half uh, what comforts me is that I think we are, again, this could be very famous last words. I think we're safe from getting blown out. I think there's very little, if no chance that we get blown out of this. I think Europe can definitely beat us. Um, I think the U S should win. And I think that there is a chance that the U S blows them out. Um, what you mentioned way back earlier, um, probably in the first 10 minutes or so was just how much Europe relies on their horses, how much Rory Rose Stenson, um, and Sergio, they're going to play all five matches. Um, if one or two of those guys is off, I think Europe's in big-time trouble. Yep. Um, they're going to be relying on Andy Sullivan, Rafael Cabrera-Bello, and Chris Wood to get them points. I'm going to feel very good about the U.S.'s chances. So, Think about when think about when we did blow them out You know, in the Anthony Kim Ryder Cup. Let's just call it that from now on. Yep. Sergio was garbage, that Ryder Cup. And yep. it, it cost them dearly. Like he had just gotten dumped by, I think, Greg Norman's daughter, and or maybe it was Olin Brown's daughter. He dated both of them, so it's hard for me to remember. And, you know, that caused a big stick when Faldo pointed that out. Like, Sergio just wasn't into it. But he wasn't. Like, he kind of moped around, and that was, you know, golf is hard sometimes when you're dealing with other things going on in your life. And so the one time Sergio was not very good, it ended up being a huge advantage for U.S., yeah, all right. I'm fully convinced now. Well, there's been no evidence that those guys are going to play poorly in this. this I mean, Rose and uh, and McElroy putted like they're on the deck of the Titanic all season long, and now they both seem to be playing quite well going into this, or at least have resolved their putting issues. So, uh, if we're going to talk about like past errors, like you and me predicting that the U.S. are going to win the Ryder Cup is kind of like Porter predicting that Rory's going to win all four majors every year. Like, that's sort of like, if we're going to hot, cold take, uh, sort of memorialize that, then that's that's our, like, you could, if you and I had done 20 podcasts, I don't think we would have picked Europe, like, in any of those. We just wouldn't have been able to bring ourselves, just like Porter can't bring himself to pick anyone but Rory in the, uh, every major. The year, the year is 2038. Porter's got like 18 different social media networks that he's using at this point. Still make copy-pasting the same Rory prediction for every major. <laughs> um, all right, we haven't talked much about the fourth and final pick. Um, 
who do you think if if you're making a power rankings right now, who do you think is at the top of it, and how far does that list go for Davis Love? I mean, obviously, Bob is going to be a factor, and you know, if it, but what's weird is that like if they if Bob gets left off. There's the potential for it to be controversial because Bubba could really be like hurt about it and would make us think about it and sort of say, you know, well, I'm, who other what other guys? Why would you take Daniel Berger over me when I've won two Masters? I don't see Daniel Berger with two Masters or whatever. And so, like, it could be a thing that then you know that the players have to talk about that Love has to talk about that he can be second guessed about. Like, Bubba's the safe pick because no one's going to be. If he picks Bubba, no one's going to be like, oh, whoa, went, or, went out on a limb there, whoa. <laughs> but the ballsy pick is to pick, you know, Berger or somebody, or nah, or someone like that who's totally kind of hasn't been on a Ryder Cup team before, hasn't won a major, isn't sort of like a household name for a lot of people. And that's one of the things that I sometimes am frustrated about in media is that there's this sort of backlash when people make logical, but what can easily be sort of cast as controversial decisions you know i don't i don't know that but i mean if you look at that match in we were talking about like previous Ryder cups bubba went out first against luke donald and was like four down through nine <laughs> against a guy who's hitting it like 270 like how is how was he four down I mean, like, Luke, if Luke played his his butt off and was like, oh, yeah, making, you know, spurries on the first seven holes, I'd understand it. But it wasn't like, they, that match was off of TV for most of the day because it, wasn't, it was the route. That was, like, if Bubba houses Donald like he should have, you know, he was he was getting people fired up or whatever, you know, telling the Europeans to egg him on or whatever, like, in the, every. He, that match was such a letdown for me. That was where I kind of flipped, where I was in some ways like, man, this dude, he is a, is a head case. Of, I, he just wasn't into that at all. It was a huge deal. And I just, you should never get beat, like, housed by Luke Donald on singles in the last day. It's, it's hard to get dropped from coverage in the, in the Ryder Cup format. But I yes. guess that goes into Bubba's 3-8 and eight record. I just, that bad. Like, what is going on, you know? Yeah. Just waxed. Uh, three and eight record it is clearly working against him. And I, I saw this quote today on Twitter that said something like Bubba said, "Well, I'm the seventh ranked player in the world. If they, if they don't let, uh, don't pick me, they must not think I'm good." That's not. I'm not picking him after he's saying that. Like I'm not gonna be like, "Oh, okay, yeah, you're right. I forgot that you're good at golf. Like here, come be on my team." Here's I saw the stat today. I just looked it up. Bubba's zero and three in Ryder Cup singles. He's been four down in every one of those matches. Oh my he's God. won six of the 48 holes, and he's never led. <laughs> that, I, I've kind of talked myself into Bubba being an okay final pick if you know if we don't see somebody step up big time in the Tour Championship. But maybe I should be – I think it does say something that he wasn't picked in this round. Like, why wouldn't he be picked um, – why wouldn't he be picked in this batch? And JB, who is more of the – I mean, he wasn't a sleeper pick, but more of a sleeper pick than Bubba would have been. Why? 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 They must not want him on the team. And I actually talked to a player that had 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 uh, spoken with a assistant captain rather recently, and he told me that they were really high on JB and not very high on Bubba, and that ended up at least so far being true. So I, I think that there is something to that. I think he'd like to go with a Burger JT type, just to get people off his back, honestly, and that he's got, he's got to let 10 guys with experience already on the team. He can take a risk on a, on a guy with, without experience. And 
I know for a fact that, and again, a lot of people have discounted, they, they want to throw JT out just because he's not had the type of season that we kind of expected from him after, you know, getting a third and a win in the fall series. But honestly, if, if, if he finishes top five at the tour championship, I think he's going to be on the team. I know that Davis Love wants to put him on the team. Like he's begging, he, he wants JT to have to earn it and he wants to be able to justify it, but he knows he wants to pick him. So, um, I mean, as you said to me, I was kind of like hesitant on it, but you would point out, like, and Bacon would point out, like, he makes a ton of birdies. Like, he doesn't, sometimes he has trouble avoiding, like, the big scores where he should make a bogey and makes double, but he's going to throw a ton of birdies at you on some days and be really, you know, those, that's huge in a match where your final score doesn't really matter. So, especially, like, in those matches where it's, you're, you're playing your own ball, but your score doesn't always count, great. I feel like I looked this up though, and I don't have the numbers in front of me. But his birdie average wasn't what I thought it was. I it think... wasn't. Well, yeah, it wasn't. I mean, some of this is us projecting from last year too, when he was playing better. When yeah. he was sort of hot, but yeah, you're right. And maybe you know, I think we all think that he's sort of a piece, at least, of the future of American golf. And you could put him in a match with Spieth, who he's known since they were 17 or whatever, and you would feel pretty comfortable with the two of them, like going ball out for America. He, I mean, when Justin said, like, would you rather major, you know, or would you be on the Ryder Cup? He was like, Ryder Cup. Yeah. Like, that was sort of a fun moment. That was That's the opposite of Chris Kirk being like, I don't know, man, I don't care. Like, what <laughs> <laughs> right? that's, those are the two polar ends of the spectrum. Yeah, and if you're trying to do, take the stat, that based, stats-based approach and put him on the team, I, I think that if, if JT was on the team, you're throwing stats out the window and you're making the bold call. You're for Davis Love saying, I think you're going to ball out in Hazel team. Like, you really haven't supported it that much with your play, but I'm, I'm putting my confidence in you. Um, I think he has the goodwill to be able to afford to do that. Whether or not he's going to is still a question. I think it'll have to get, at least get some sign of it at East Lake, but... Um, again, in, I'm a no JT Homer. I'm not necessarily campaigning for that. If he wants to go for it, I'm I'm on board. Um, but it's not like I'm I'm demanding that Justin Thomas be on this team. But I think I think it'd be a lot of fun if he was for from a viewer standpoint. Yep. Um, all right, man. This is over an hour. Uh, I've gotten to, I, I didn't get to all the questions, but the, I think we kind of covered most of the topics that people sent in. Uh, loosely throughout, unless there's uh, unless Mr. Player has anything. Any, does Mr. Player have any predictions uh, for what we can expect in uh, 18 days? I like it to be all to come down tied at the final day, and then it's Brooks Kepka versus Rory in a push-up contest. <laughs> See you on the first team, McElroy. <laughs> Oh, all right, KVV, we're letting you out on that one. We're going to let you do a, uh, a George Costanza and just leave on a top note right like that. So uh, thank you for the time. Thank you, ESPN, for letting Kevin Van Valkenburg come on the No Lane Up podcast. And, uh, and we'll be in touch, and uh, go USA. Be the right club. Be the right club today. Yeah! I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most!